Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today I'm here with Janet Rowe and Lisa Vigil Schattinger to discuss their presentation at ONS Congress about medical aid in dying. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Lisa Vigil Schattinger. I um, founded a group called Ohio End of Life Options, which is a volunteer group um, that raises awareness about uh, laws and advocates for a law in a state without one currently. And I'm Jan Rowe, I'm Lisa's mother. Uh, my husband actually used the uh, death with dignity law, used a prescription in 2014. And Lisa and I were both with him at that time, went through the process. And uh, afterwards, we just realized it was such a mind-changing, amazing, peaceful death that Jack wanted that uh, we needed to tell people about it. So I became a volunteer with advocacy groups and I volunteer with End of Life Choices Oregon, which is a real hands-on group. We educate and support clients through the whole process. Uh, and Lisa founded a foundation to advocate for law in, in Ohio. Harry, since you are both nurses and you also have the unique perspective of having a family member who used medical aid in dying, what advice do you have for families as well as nurses who are struggling to understand this issue? I think the biggest thing for us, me as a wife, uh, was just recognizing uh, Jack's desire to end his life the way he wanted. It was his decision. Uh, he was very thoughtful about it. He was very concerned about how we were all affected, his family, his children, me. Uh, but it was still his death. And uh, he was able to control it. And I had to respect that. And uh, with Jack and with so many clients that I have seen over the last several years, um, it's just so obvious that this is what uh, the patient wants. And um, they're not being coerced. Um, it, it's absolutely their choice and their need, and we have to be respectful of that. And I've spoken to so many people um, and it truly does come down to this concept that, you know, I've made all these medical decisions throughout my life and throughout whatever treatment and, um, you know, surgeries or other um, options that I've pursued to this point. And it's important to them to have that same decision-making ability and at, at the end of their lives. And you know, I, I really remember talking to a gentleman here in Ohio who knew he wouldn't have this option. He spoke out saying, I wish I did have this option. And he said, I have done everything that I'm supposed to do. I had a great oncologist. I worked with a palliative care team. I understand that I'm facing the end of my life. I made the difficult decision to enroll in hospice. I moved closer to my family. I, I, you know, rebuilt those relationships that weren't necessarily strong. I moved into a senior care setting so that I could get care if I needed it. And now I just want that one additional option um, to be able to say, oh, what's my day and where do I want to be and who do I want with me um, to die if I decide that my suffering is too great. 
And I think that remembering that only the person can determine what suffering is and what their suffering is. Um, we don't know what that is for them. As much as we've seen and experienced with our patients, each one is an individual and getting to know them and again, their values and, and what this means to them, um, I think is part of the process of really understanding and supporting people. And, you know, we really have to point out that for those who simply cannot support patients in this because of their own personal beliefs, then please have a system in place in your health system so that that is respected as well, as well as supporting the patient so that they are not abandoned uh, in their care. So how do we put together a supportive system that is open with communication and knowledge um, and supportive of uh, the people who want this choice and the people who opt out? We should all be able to um, act on our beliefs. So right now, Oregon, Washington, California, Hawaii, Colorado, New Mexico, Vermont, New Jersey, Maine, and Washington, D.C. all have laws that are similarly modeled on Oregon's Death with Dignity Act uh, that was passed in 1993 or 1994. Um, and uh, the state of, of, excuse me, of Montana uh, allows physicians to prescribe, but that was decided through a state Supreme Court law. So they don't have quite the same uh, safeguards built into it. And we don't know uh, um, as much about what happens there. Um, medical aid and dying laws have been known by different laws over time or by different names over time in, in Oregon. It's called the Death with Dignity Act as well as Washington and Maine. Um, other states call it an end of life option act. Uh, it's been called physician-assisted death, sometimes physician-assisted suicide. Um, and the, the term that has really um, come to be over time is medical aid in dying. And it's specifically for the terminally ill. So it's a law that allows a, a terminally ill and mentally competent person uh, the ability to request and self-administer a prescription to hasten his or her imminent death. Um, it's very patient-directed process. They are the only ones who can start the process, go through the qualification steps, and then decide if and when to actually use the medication. And um, it, it really is this concept that the person um, understands that they are dying and uh, they want to live, but they understand that um, they are facing the end of their days and they want to determine what their death, um, how their death plays out, the, the where and the when and uh, who is surrounding them when they die. Uh, so then we thought we could talk about a little bit of details about the law in Oregon and specifically. So uh, in Oregon, uh, or in the states that do have the law, you are uh, required to be a resident or at least be present in the state when you are requesting the medication, uh, have your doctors, you need an attending physician who is a prescribing physician and a consulting physician. So you need those two doctors, one who is actually willing to prescribe the medication and the second one, the consulting 
uh, only confirms that the patient has a six-month diagnosis. And there is specific paperwork for both of those doctors. Uh, you have to be 18 years old. If either of those doctors uh, questions your mental capacity to make that decision, then they can order a psychiatric evaluation. And there is a, a third paperwork for that physician. Um, they are confirming simply that the patient has a terminal diagnosis of uh, six months or less. The first request to the attending physician has to be documented in the patient's chart notes. And then the second request to the doctor must be 15 days after the first request. The patient also has to submit a written request to the prescribing doctor that has to be witnessed by two people only one of whom can benefit from the patient's death. Uh, the witnesses have to watch the patient sign the document, and uh, they also date it, sign it, and date it, and all of those dates must be the same day. Then the doctor has to wait 48 hours before he can write the prescription, and that is sent to the pharmacy. It cannot be given to the patient. Um, once the pharmacy has it and it's filled, it can either be mailed or picked up by a designated person uh, uh, other than the patient. Uh, also, the patient can leave the prescription at the pharmacy. They don't have to pick it up right away and they don't have to pay for it right away. Uh, once the patient has a prescription in hand, it's up to them to decide when to use it. And then finally, the patient has to be able to ingest the medication himself, either by drinking it, by injecting it through a peg tube, or uh, injecting it through a rectal catheter. Oregon did slightly amend their law um, recently, um, and they can waive that 15-day waiting period if it's determined that the patient is, could be dying imminently. And that, that has actually happened. That went into effect in 2020. And in 2021, I think there were uh, 89 patients who used that um, uh, waiver uh, because we certainly do have clients who um, die within, you know, within a week uh, of when the doctor gives them their terminal diagnosis. So it's also important to note that physicians and pharmacists and nurses and everyone involved uh, as healthcare providers can opt out. Um, an interesting part of this law is that when the request is made, they must be counseled about all of their other end-of-life care options. So palliative care and hospice care, uh, spiritual counseling, pain management. So they're uh, sometimes more aware of all of the care that they can be receiving at the end of life. And of course, uh, the person can change their, their mind at any step of the process. Uh also, we, uh, as end-of-life choices volunteers, and, and I know it's true of other states with volunteer organizations like ours, we work very closely with palliative care and hospice organizations and their social workers and RNs. So we really encourage everyone to be in hospice care or palliative care as soon as possible. It's very yeah, important. The, the data have shown that in Oregon, 95% um, or more of the people who've died using this um, prescription 
uh, were also enrolled in hospice care. So um, we feel that it's incredibly important that they are getting all of the quality end of life care they can. And we don't feel that this is an either or type of scenario. It's um, getting all quality care and options at the end of life. Thank you so much for explaining all of this. Um, so since this is very, obviously a very you know, complex process for nurses who are working on the floor, uh, who are working with these patients, what should they know about medical aid in dying? Right now, over 20% of Americans, because of the population that live in the states that have laws, um, a lot of people have access to this as an option. And so I don't think the issue is going away. And so because of that, um, nurses, uh, organizations are taking the time to revisit this and make statements about it. And for example, um, the American Nurses Association has uh, revised their statement saying that it, putting together a statement called the nurse's role when a patient requests medical aid in dying and the ONS uh, has a statement uh, that's called guidelines for the role of the registered nurse and advanced practice registered nurse when hasten death is requested. And part of the points that they make is that because this is such an ever-changing and evolving issue, that nurses must be knowledgeable about it um, and be able to have objective, non-judgmental conversations with our patients if a request is made. And so we are also hoping to give nurses tools for those moments so that you know they are equipped not only with knowledge of do they live in a state with a law and how do the laws work but how do we handle this conversation in a state that doesn't have a law how do we um, skillfully navigate that moment to really ask questions like tell me why this request is important to you or this option is important to you um, what does this mean to you? You know, what do you understand about it? And um, how can we help understand our patients, their goals for the end of their lives, their values, their um, preferences, um, and all that affects the care that they want so that we can help get them the care that most closely aligns with their beliefs, their values, and their medical needs. And sometimes in a state like mine that doesn't have a law, it's how do we get them to understand resources like um, palliative care and hospice care and when it's appropriate to be talking to those groups. And uh, because many institutions uh, do not opt in for any kind of um, medical aid and dying um, aid or information. Uh, it's important for RNs to be aware of organizations like Death with Dignity or Compassion and Choices, or uh, in many states, even that don't have laws, they do already have an end of life choices organization. And um, Patients can be referred to these places and they will give them information. They can give them uh, you know, the details or they can give them phone numbers to call for hands-on help, maybe the name of a clinician who would be willing to help them. So um, for example, in Oregon, uh, Kaiser uh, Hospital System and Legacy Hospital Systems up in Portland have navigators that uh, if a client expresses a, a wish or 
wants information about medical aid and dying, they're hooked up with that social worker and they're just walk through the process. And many times uh, systems don't have that, but the RN needs to know, does their system have that kind of a situation? Are they willing to help? And uh, where I live in Southwest Oregon, uh, our main oncology hematology group, the doctors, it is their policy that they will not be a prescribing physician, but they are willing to act as consulting physicians and uh, they can refer clients to us, to End of Life Choices Oregon. Uh, so we often get calls from social workers or oncology nurses or even the doctors occasionally in that practice who just want to refer their patients to us. So that's really one of the main things that RNs need to know. It's time for them to pass this patient on. If people just want more information, uh, there is uh, a group uh, that started in California called the American Clinicians Academy for Medical Aid and Dying, ACAMAID, and they um, provide continuing education about uh, this, the process and the medications and the prescription um, that's used. Um, there, I, I also really encourage nurses, if they live in a state with a law, to go onto their public health authority website, find the information about um, its laws. Uh, each state has a different name, so sometimes that can be challenging to find the, the actual uh, information about it. But you can download the forms in most of the states, and I encourage them to do that because that's a very straightforward way to understand how the process is working in their state. Um, so just um, finding out real knowledge rather than um, kind of perpetuating all of the mi misunderstanding about this process and remembering that this is the patient-directed process. Thank you so much you know, for sharing your story and for, for sharing this advice. You're welcome. We really appreciate um, the nurses who invited us to this setting to have this discussion. Um, I think it's just so important that we, again, start with a, a base level of understanding and um, go forward with more discussion about it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Oncology Data Advisor. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. In addition to our podcast, the Oncology Data Advisor site features expert perspectives and news stories on the latest in cancer research and treatments, all found at oncdata.com. Thank you.